0: To Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey, brother, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, sister, hey, sibling how are you? Hey, brother, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, sister
1: hey sibling
0: how are you hey how you been doing just checking in today on you. hey what's up y'all so uh i am so excited about this episode i have i wanted to have this person on the show last year or the be- the end of last year or the beginning of this year and you know we're traveling and all that kind of stuff but we worked it out and we finally 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 got our schedules to match and and i'm just oh, i'm just so excited so our guest today is shar Joshelle. she is a la based award-winning journalist media personality she focuses on pop culture reporting from an intersection of gender race entertainment don't try to pigeonhole and pigeonhole her into just trans (laughs) trans stuff she she's a journalist talk about everything so that's let make that clear she has contributed to variety zora fox soul bold culture and just just she's just a bad bitch in the game and i am so proud of her and i just wanted to introduce her to y'all and yeah thank you for joining me
1: Thank you for having me, uh, Diamond. This is a, an esteemed honor as someone who is a fan of the show. I, I check in, I listen, I, I got to keep my finger to the pulse, as you say, keep my finger to the pulse of the community. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're a Capricorn. Uh, yes.
0: <laughs> so that means you are highly ambitious and you work hard. Yes. My moon is in Capricorn. I'm a Pisces, but my moon is in Capricorn.
1: Okay. See, I have I have two sisters. They're twins. They're Pisces. But at my moon, I'm a water sign. I'm Cancer. Cancer moon. So polar opposites from what I understand on the yeah. globe. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. So I want to start off by asking you,
0: like, where did you grow up? Like, where did your life start? Who was loving on you? Who
1: was um, raising you and who's your family well we're both midwesterners you and i both Mm -hmm. i am from the chicagoland area i'm not from chicago proper but the suburb that i was raised in is like a 10 15 minute drive from like inner city chicago Mm -hmm. and like if i if I stand on Halsted at just the right angle, I can see the Sears <laughs> Tower from yeah. my neighborhood. So I was raised, uh, it was, it's actually very interesting because the neighborhood has has flipped, like I've witnessed it flip because when I was in the suburb that I was in, I was like one of like three black kids mm. at my school and now it's black kids all over the neighborhood. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was raised my mother, my father, and like I mentioned, my sisters and that's the environment that i was in i had a really good childhood when i think back like i mean it, it's it's give and take you know there's always those moments especially like you know i've, I've had issues with my father we're good today mm-hmm. but um for the most part i had a pretty decent um childhood and, and mm-hmm. that's where i'm from so when did
0: your when did you start to live your truth when when did that start to flourish
1: Oh, when I popped out the womb. Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you me. kidding me? I, I always joke and say I never had the privilege of, of code switching. I never like I was so easily clockable because I was so Always so hyper feminine, even in my interests. And I can remember being like three, four years old, and like singing Shaka Khan and Rufus. Tell me something good, like these yes. are of, of talent shows and things that 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 I was involved in. I used to, you know, sneak and like put on like a few coats of mascara or grab my mom's top coat and give myself a clear, hey. you know, a clear. Yeah, so. So as far as as expressing my femininity, it's just always been there. And it's been at times painfully innate because I realize, you know, I think that there's a point for a lot of us who buck up against the norm, whether that be in presentation or personality Mm -hmm. where you have to contend with, you know, I can't, like I mentioned, code switch in the ways in which I witnessed some of my peers code switch for safety and survival reasons. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've always been, always been the femme doll from the There's time I arrived. I know that for real. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you go to school? Uh, for like college? Mm-hmm. I went to Langston University and Langston is a HBCU in Oklahoma. I always mm-hmm. have to remind people like we're here. We were the second season of <laughs> BET's College Hill, okay? um and that is where i got my bachelor of arts degree in broadcast journalism and it was an interesting experience because you went to an hbcu too right yeah
0: in mississippi
1: yeah how yeah, did you so- get what why did you pick there
0: going from chicago to oklahoma okay so there. A-
1: there was a a series of factors because everyone always asks me this. Granted, I want to say Diamond, I was so damn (laughs) shell-shocked when I got down there because this is before the Oklahoma City Thunder existed. I was like, what do you mean you all don't have a sports team? You know, coming from Chicago, there's the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the Cubs, the Sox. Like I was kind of used to that sporty type environment just as a spectator, not a player. Um, And so, When I got down there, so what I will say is that me and my girlfriends in high school, we all wanted to go out of state. I was the only one from our group that went out of state and I went to Langston because they offered me the most money. I wanted to go to Clark Atlanta. I wanted Mm -hmm. to go to Loyola Marymount, which is not an HBCU. And so I kind of was like dancing on like this fine line because I had never been to school with all black people, Mm -hmm. but I figured my 18 year old mind at the time was like, oh, I can handle this. I go to an all black church. I can handle this. (laughs) And, you know, there were some, there were some nuances there, you know, once you get down there. And so I got there because they offered me the most money. I went down there on scholarship. And then, you know, in a sweet twist of fate, my parents actually met on the campus of Langston University. Um, And so it just was, it was one of those things where I wasn't even eyeballing it, but both of them, I'm the oldest I mentioned i'm the oldest of three gotcha. um both of them were kind of like pushing me in that direction and i was like look i do want to go out of state i did not want to be in state and they offered me the most money so that's where mm-hmm. i went
0: yeah i wanted to go to um north carolina a.t that's Ooh. where when i did my tour like we i went to three different cities three different uh-huh. schools. And when I did my tour, my favorite was um, going to Greensboro g- going to Greensboro and um, mm-hmm. going to North Carolina AT. It was like, oh, this is where I want to be. But my mom- I liked
1: I liked Tennessee state too. I did a little college mm-hmm. tour too. I liked Tennessee state, you know, Oprah's alma mater, you know, uh-huh. I know people got varying, <laughs> but listen, I'm from Chicago. So Oprah was like, when I was growing up, it was Michael Jordan and Oprah Winfrey. They ran the city. Okay. Um, They're icons yeah, to us, especially yeah. Midwest girls. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was looking at Tennessee State too. I have my eyes on a few different places. But it was one of those things where, you know, I had to make sacrifices because as, as I mentioned, I have two sisters that are under me that are twins. And they're five years under me. So you know, they put me in school, my parents put me through school. And then it's like, Oh, we have to have a come to Jesus, we have two children that are going to be going to school at the same time, they're twins, you know, so like, we got to figure this out. And so yeah, you know, you know. I think you're the oldest too, right? Yeah, so I am. Tons of sacrifices that we made as <laughs> the oldest. Tons.
0: <laughs> I tell my brother he owes me. I'm gonna need him to buy me a yes, house. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> And the crazy part, I think if he was rich, he would. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Tell me about your journey as a Black journalist, with you know, at the intersection that your identity sits. Like, what are some of the challenges that you have seen as you pursued your career path?
1: So, what's interesting with this is like, once I got my degree, I ended up moving back to Chicago, and I moved back to Chicago and full confidence, because I knew so many people. I knew people who worked at the Chicago Sun-Times, who were at Wendy mm-hmm. City Live, who worked. This is when Harpo Studios was still a thing. You know, Oprah was still like in her final season, I think, when I graduated. And all of that crap fell flat. I wound up working at Live Nation, Ticketmaster. I worked at Macy's at the cosmetics counter. Um, I worked in cosmetics in undergrad too, at the, at Sephora, which was one of my favorite jobs, Mm. but, um, um, and so what ended up happening was that I just picked up and left Chicago in my mid twenties and moved to LA. And I did it because I didn't want to do shoulda, woulda, couldas. And I, my mother had an open door policy. So I know that I'm very fortunate in that. I knew that if I went out to LA and I fell flat on my face, I could return home. And I no, wait, also wait, wait,
0: wait. That is so important to for you to speak because Ooh. a lot of people don't understand how important 30. that that is to a person when they're out here trying to explore and find their way. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of, like me, I didn't have that. My mother was an addict and, you know, Mm -hmm. my mama, when she was homeless, would have to come stay with me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that kind of, um, that kind of safety net and there were so many times that I wish that I could go do things. I would have traveled abroad quicker than I w- thought. I would I would have done so much more exploring and risking if I knew I had that that safety net. So that's so mm-hmm. important for you to um verbalize.
1: Yeah, and and when I did that, you know, I should also mention I had a a mentor cuz I I interned at Oklahoma City's ABC affiliate and one of the reporters who was, I had two mentors there, and I remember we were talking about heartbreak. She's a Capricorn too. If she's listening to this, she'll remember this. (laughs) And she was saying that like, this is something that stuck with me and, and it may be deemed toxic, but the older you get, the less empathetic people are to you. So we were talking about heartbreak and I had gotten my little heart broken and it's like, oh, when you're 18, 19, yeah, you can take a week off and be in your sweats and have your ice cream and process, but you don't, people are kind of unforgiving, like even your peers and your friends when, if you get your heart broken at 33 and wanna do that same thing, cause you're supposed right. to, you know? And so I carried that with me in that like, okay, if I go out to LA and I fail, you know, air quote fail in my I was 26 when I moved out here, people would be a bit more forgiving, like my aunts, uncles, you know, because everybody's watching. Right. So it's like people would be more forgiving versus if I tried this at 36 and failed, (laughs) you know, because it's like you're supposed to have it figured out by now. Or you knew better.
0: You too old to be making these decisions. (laughs) Right.
1: Which I have totally let go of because I've seen so many people just take different routes at 40, 50, 50, 60, et cetera,
0: et cetera. Uh, Tony Morrison didn't become Tony Morrison until she was in her 40s.
1: (laughs) Bingo. Bingo. Um, And so for me, my journalism has always been entertainment um, based on the journey that I had in Hard News. And Hard News was one of those things where I determined that I would much rather talk about uh, I don't know, Chris Brown having a tantrum than I wanted, you know, I'd much rather talk about that versus, you know, uh, social injustice. I'll put it that way. And the reason why I came to that conclusion is because things when I worked in hard news were just taking so much away from me psychologically. It mm. just was, I couldn't let it go. And I tip my hat to everybody that works at the local, you know, channel two and channel seven, because the disassociation you have to have to work in those, I don't think they get their credit for. These these journalists, these anchors, re- these reporters, they do not get the credit that they deserve of disassociating. When I worked in hard news, I saw the videos of the murders with no blur. You get the raw footage. Mm-hmm. When I worked in Hard News, I worked the beat desk where you hear the 911 call come through because we don't know where, you know, they don't know where they're sending news trucks. Um, Oklahoma, first time I was called the N-word to my face. You know, uh, so I was I was learning. And so I realized I was like, mm-mm, this, this ain't it. <laughs> I, would <much> rather, <laughs> I would much rather, and I should mention that I was in stealth. This was at the very beginning of my transition. Um, I had started transitioning socially in my late teens and early twenties. But when I got my, my internship, when I was an undergrad, I firmly believe that the person that hired me, the executive producer that gave me the thumbs up thought that I, cause at the time I just, I had a blonde fade, I'll put it that way. <laughs> and so he assumed I had a blonde fade and I was in women's clothing and he made some assumptions and I believe that's that's how I got in the door had he known the reality i can't say mm. i can't say if that if that's you know something and so um at the time i should mention diamond that this is being juxtaposed against like being from chicago i know the girls the girls are pumping my head full of information you know my elders like there's th- still things that i'm working through unlearning right now <laughs> that you know the girls used to tell me in chicago when we me and my my friends would like sneak to North Halston and Belmont, which was like the mm-hmm. boys down History. Yeah. The girls in Chicago that yeah. I would be
0: around. I, I call them the generator, the old generator girls.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Some, they weren't very open. And so I think that, and I, when I say open, I mean, like, as far as like how they navigated the world, but they really couldn't be. When I look at the time, they really couldn't it wasn't all this 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 talk of like what the things we talk about today as far as like varying identities and how people show up in the world and so um there i felt like they affirmed my internalized transphobia um there would be girls that would read me like when i was presenting you know like non-binary like they'd be like So, you you know, you're very beautiful, but I see you doing the halfway thing. And it would make me feel like I've always been a confident girl, Diamond, like don't get it fucked up. Like I've always been confident but there would be things that would sometimes make me feel this big, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, you know, they lace it and saying it with love, but I didn't think that it was always in love. There was a girl that told me, you're gonna need silicone in your cheeks and silicone in your forehead and silicone. And that's like, literally this is like on a corner <laughs> at like 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I was with my 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 girlfriend, Talia, who who's also trans and then my dearly departed friend, Kenny. And we used to be GBC, we used to be the, Girl, boom, click. <laughs> Back in the day, this, this is like 2004, 2005. Adios. It was the girl, boom, click. You know, um, and so, and then there was like, you know, things that like the girl that kisses and tells never gets kissed again. When it came mm-hmm. to dating, very rigid things like if your man wants to explore certain things in the bedroom, it strips you of your womanhood. Mm-hmm. It, it takes you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely, got, got me having to get into the weeds of it, and so. Yeah. It's things that even now, like 15 years later, that I still, especially with being a journalist and having conversations and enjoying conversations and meeting people from all different walks of life, there are times that I have, if I'm not taking myself to task, I have friends around me that'll take me to task and say, now, why is that?
0: Well, why mm-hmm. is that,
1: Shar? Why do you feel that way? And so- mm-hmm. um, And so how it, are you,
0: what are your steps to working through that?
1: I believe in asking questions and so I will ask myself questions until I can get to the root and I I also don't beat myself up about whatever the root may be because that just it, it just is what it is and then it's it's incumbent upon me to then you know challenge that. Now, I want to be clear, everything ain't for everybody, okay? And 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 everybody's not i don't want to be on your podcast and make it seem like oh you know i'm this all encompassing got it all figured out everything makes sense type of girl because i'm not there's still a lot that i'm still working through um but i always ask myself the questions the same questions that i would ask someone else i ask myself those questions i'm also a big journaler i also and you know like therapy and i make sure that i keep friends around me that got some sense you know it's it's nice to have fun but i have friends around me that read books like i read books (laughs) you know and and we'll have these types of conversations and so um and i think it's important to
0: understand that no matter how old you are or no matter how um what you went through you are an ever-changing entity and it is okay to be um steadfast in uh, certain beliefs and it's okay to change it's okay to be fluid in whatever and stick to whatever you feel like you're strong about like you can yes. you can shift and mold and be mutable all you want you do not need to live by somebody else's rigid rules or and if it's a rule you believe in you can stick to that it just yeah. in either way i think it's important for people to know especially as a young person to know that what you think when you're 16 is going to be very different once you think what you think when you're 25 is going to be different once you when you get to 35 it's going to be different when you get to 40 mm-hmm. and i'm assuming hopefully blessed when i get to 50 60 70 wherever i'm going to get to there's i'm going to change and i'm going to get better and that's but the see,
1: goal. And, and i totally agree and that loops back to like some of those harmful harmful things that I'm a very binary woman. And that's Same. something that I stand by. There have been people that have used they, them pronouns with me. And I've had to say, those are not my pronouns. You know, with all due respect, I know we're trying to be all encompassing and invite everyone and you don't want to assume, but, but those not are not my me. pronouns. My pronouns are she, her. And, you know, and even thinking back again, like how we were talking about the girls in Chicago, everything was like rooted in passing. And, you know, they're being so terrible to other women that are out there doing a lot of the same things that they're doing, you know, calling her for the night. I remember they would call girls vampires. You can only come out at night. You know, Mm. terrible names that I won't repeat on this because this is a podcast of love, Um, (laughs) but terrible names that I won't repeat. But some of that stuff, you know, the obsession with passing really, you know, was was a kind of a bedrock in, in my transition and also just following my own heart and also taking into account like the same girls that would read me and tell me I need silicone everywhere. There would then be someone that, that that followed that up when she wasn't with that clique and was like, girl, don't do none of that shit. You are fine as is. And that mm. would happen few and far in between, but it still happened. So what I happened. won't take away from that. I won't take away from that. But okay. everything was rooted in passing. And, you know, you know, following this rigid binary, which that goes into like unlearning things and also just respecting that what is for me is me there are components that make char char just like there are components that make diamond diamond and we can't always throw what makes char onto onto diamond because that's that strips you of your own agency you know what i'm saying and, but, but i totally agree with you always be teachable always you never know mm. everything so always be teachable la,
0: la, 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 la. And so how does that translate into when you moved to LA and get into your career? Did that did were there some things that that you unlearned that got you further in your career,
1: or was it holding you back some in some way? When I got here, I was living in stealth. I lived with three white boys from UCLA. <laughs> um <laughs> one of which just randomly shoved his tongue down my throat one day and started kissing and coming on to me. And I said, and at first I didn't turn it down and I said, ho, 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 This is a roommate and they also don't know what's going on. This is, I should mention, this was summer 2014. So this is before the the conversation was truly e- elevated to the level it is today. Right. And so, um, yeah, I was living in stealth and I was working in stealth because I was I was very fearful. I'm gonna tell this story here that I have, I, I've never told this publicly, so when I first graduated undergrad, because it loops into everything. When I first graduated undergrad, one of my advisors had a producer friend at WGNO, which is the ABC affiliate for New Orleans, Louisiana. I have family in New Orleans and family from Louisiana, from Mississippi. And I'm like, oh, I could go down there and be totally be a field reporter. And so <laughs> we'll never forget this. I wrote the producer an email, and this was at the beginning of my medical transition, and I had gotten my um, my paperwork changed because that's what I was helping on. The 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 my thought process at the time was like, okay, me in, in a mini skirt and a 30-inch weave means nothing if my ID says M. So I was always the the paperwork. These yeah. were the
0: rules. We didn't make the rules, but these were the rules. <laughs>
1: these were this is where my head was at the time. I said, Bitch, get your paperwork before you save to try to get a surge or try to do. Take advantage. I was still at, I, I moved back in with my mama and I saved my money and I got in my paperwork Got that gender marker and I got that name change. That was the first thing that I did. And then I started in that I started H.R.T. But I say that to say my mom, God bless her heart, because she was just trying to help. She told me to mention because I had a real that I was not myself in. And she was like, well, if you're submitting this to him, you should probably let him know like, hey, you know, I'm I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm transitioning. So this email address and you know, because da, 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 da. this man was very responsive. He's like, oh my gosh, I'll never forget. He was like, we got Super Bowl because it was Beyonce's year, Super Bowl in New Orleans, and then back to back weekends, it was also Mardi Gras. So this man is working like 96 hours in a week. And so he's interested in, in getting and in, in getting to know me for hiring purposes. But as soon as I dropped the T word <laughs> to this day, I have not heard back from that man. <laughs> wow! And for a long time, I was upset with my mother about that because I was like, I could just go down there and, you know, do what I've been doing, which is not telling anyone what time it is, but. I think everything worked out exactly as it should, because, you know, it is Louisiana and all it takes is for some hating ass from undergrad to, you know, right. tell my tea. And then what would that have looked like? Or, I mean, even if someone is watching the TV and they squint and they say, now, wait a minute, you know? So it's, you just never mm-hmm. know. And so, but for a long time, I was upset with my mom about that because I didn't get jobs that I wanted. And so I say that to say, when I moved out to, to LA, I was like in full stealth mode, because I needed to work. That's how I looked at it. I worked at, at, at a school, I was at a middle school, because I couldn't get a job. And I was just Miss Char, didn't nobody know nothing. Did nobody know nothing. And I worked with, you know, a student, I was doing BII, I worked in the detention room. And then um, this is before I I jumped full time into to working in television. But another story that I've never told <laughs> is that while I was working at this school, Within my first year in LA, I got a casting call to be on Glee. So I agreed to be a background actor on Glee. Now this episode, you can still find it. TS Madison is standing directly behind me. They rounded up like 300 trans people, trans women, (laughs) trans men. And we were, we were part of this choir diamond. Yes, we're part of this choir. And that was young, that was 26 year old Char. I had been in LA for like six months when I did this. And so I will never forget, it aired in February and I was walking down the halls of the school and one of my favorite teachers who I really enjoyed and I trusted this white lady, she was fine. She never betrayed me, but she saw me in the hallway and then she hugged me and pulled me in. And I was like, why is this hug lingering? And She was like, I saw you last night on Glee. (laughs) 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 And I'm only laughing because Diamond, it felt like someone poured ice cold water down my back because I'm like, what does this mean for my job? what does this because at the time kids ain't that watching is, glee no more it's the the final season these middle schoolers are not watching no damn glee um but yes miss miss d pulled me in and i saw you last night on glee and i was just shell-shocked for the rest of the day because i did not know what that meant for my job and yeah. so um yeah so i was living in stealth And I worked in unscripted TV. I left the school. Once I left that school job, I was working in unscripted TV. My first uh, job outside of that was actually basketball wives as a talent assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, I did season five when we met Duffy and Angel Love and all those girls. And then from there, it was kind of like I was doing part-time journalism but full-time reality TV because I work, worked on Welcome to Sweetie Pies. I worked a few seasons of Project Runway as a release coordinator. Like I had subordinates. I had production ass- assistants under me. Mind you, this is all in this is all just char showing up. Right. You ain't got to know what's going on, you know. And so uh and I'm bobbing and weaving through this timeline, but I what I will say is in 2015 I came out publicly. And I came out This is a gag of gags because I thought that the United States was headed in a different direction. Laverne had been on the cover of Time magazine and it honestly was Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of Vanity Fair because there were so many press inquiries. And I was listening to people having these conversations and there's no trans people in the room, which still happens today. Y'all don't know what y'all talking about. And at the time. Um, This is before you know. Caitlyn showed her true colors. She was still reaching out to advocacy groups. She it was, you know, she was calling the black girls and trying to work with the black girls. And so mm-hmm. I
0: when she was having her reality TV show, yeah, that yes. all look. Was
1: it what it was called? Kate? I am Kate. I am, I am Kate because I did two seasons. I did After Buzz with that, which is a mm-hmm. review like a an after show network. That's right. when I did that. I did two seasons of that. But I remember I publicly came out and my first big interview was with one of my hometown radio stations, 107.5 WGCI. And it was a messy interview. But the thing is, as a journalist and as an interviewer, you can't get me, you can't get, we gonna dance together, you can't get me. And the, the, the personality on the radio at the time was asking questions that were in bad faith and she was trying to get me. Like, I'm Mm. there to talk about Caitlyn and the significance of this moment. And she's like, "Mm mm-hmm, Sharp. So so what is your birth name? And I'm like, I don't see how that is pertinent to this conversation. You know, they of course, they cut all of this out when they aired it. Right. uh, And they cut her question out and stuff. But it was those types of, like, Beatty-type questions. She was really trying to, to knock me off of my off of my game. And it showed me that, okay, you all are not interested in having conversations surrounded around transness or trans people, you're looking for a soundbite, you're looking for a moment. And so once I came out, it still was one of those things on a need to know basis. And I still kind of act like that, if I'm being honest. And that's not to say that I'm not proud of who I am, because I'm very proud to be a black woman who's trans. However, if it is not this is my own personal politic and as you just mentioned it may change next week i don't know it may change next year but the way that i have navigated my career in hollywood and in los angeles is if it is not pertinent to the conversation or to the job i don't see the need for it to be brought up i look at my transness as a piece of my pie not my whole pie that's just my personal politics and I have flat out told people, I think that me being trans is the least interesting thing about me. And I firmly believe that because I noticed that in a lot of white queer spaces in particular, they want me to lead, which I have no issue with. I want to be clear. I have no issue with leading with that. But it's also like <clears throat>
0: being being a. am more than this.
1: Exactly. yes and being at the intersections of of multiple identities it's like yes i'm in this white queer space and i'm actually experiencing racism right now like right now in real time and misogynoir right now in real time the transphobia isn't in the room but you all are still pretty fucking terrible like you know what i'm saying so it's like and i think in a lot of white queer spaces because that is what they fall back on that's really like their only I guess you know slash on the board is that i'm gay i'm trans i'm navigating but it's like i'm also black i'm also a woman and i'm trans and so sometimes you know the racism the misogyny and the transphobia all show up at once mm-hmm. and other times they take turns as to when they show up Thanks. and so it's like this ain't a safe space for me either and so that's just my own personal politic i know that not everybody will agree with me and that is fine we're all entitled to our own opinion but I firmly, like I've, I've been very um, consistent in that thought, and and in the ways in which I navigate my career.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually totally feel that because I feel the same way. I feel like when it comes to my work, when it comes to my livelihood, um, I get to decide who I talk about. Um, my transness with. Luckily right now in the work that I'm doing, uh, you know, most of it is trans-led. But prior to that, like literally all of my life before this, these past two years, I was in a situation where I was stealth at work. And I, and it's because I have been fired from three jobs in my life, literally changing the trajectory of opportunity and where I I could go, uh, what I could do in my life. And so it wasn't like I'm,
1: and th- I was just going to interject really quickly, because that's such a common story. And I literally broke down on air when I was reviewing I Am Kate.
0: Mm. It's still
1: up on the Internet. If any- After Buzz doesn't exist anymore, but these I used to review different types of shows. And there was a woman in Chicago that was fired from four jobs. And I think in that time, in that space, I realized how fortunate I was to exist in the time in which I existed, but literally like collapsed on air in tears thinking about what something like that must have been like when you are qualified you can do the the work and based on this shitty society and 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 the thoughts and 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 these prejudices and discrimination suddenly you're not qualified for the job it's just crazy to me but i know that that's a reality for, and it still goes on today it's not that's, a thing of the past but it is something that is totally jarring to me i hate it so much
0: yeah I re- the first time that it happened to me i was 18 and i was a, i was a kid and i i didn't i i i understood the it wasn't fair mm-hmm. but because i was in a situation because i had this kind of naivete of of a young person that oh i'll just get another job no you get what i'm saying and yeah. i i didn't it, I didn't think it wasn't heavy the very first time, mm-hmm. but the second time it happened, my mom was in prison. I had custody of my brother. Mm-hmm. I worked at this factory and we were trying to get, we were living with my aunt and we were trying to get, he wasn't getting along with the other kids in the house. And so mm-hmm. we were trying to get our own place. And as soon, the month that we got our own place, the very first month, this clown fired me literally Um, because I was trans, not because of anything I did, literally because, you know, the rest of the people were having an issue. And so but in that moment is where I was like, not only is this not fair, this mm -hmm. is dire. And in my brain, I was like, you don't even know what I got going on at home. It Mm -hmm. isn't just a trans person. You're fucking up. I got a kid. I got somebody that I'm that I'm taking care of. And I know you don't know that and that's none of your business because this is a fucking job, but it ain't just me that you fucking affecting. Mm-hmm. And so it it just was it just was one of those things. So when I got older, I made sure once I got my name changed and gender marker changed, da, 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 I'm coming here to do a job. I don't need to talk about my tea. That's not important. So I don't want to talk about it. And I never did. And I never felt ashamed about not doing that. Because look,
1: I I this is my livelihood. And that's the point that I want to drive home because oftentimes when I bring up how I only bring up my transness, you know, when it's incumbent on, or, or it pertains to the job that I'm doing, people's knee jerk reaction is that, oh, you must hate yourself, or, right. oh, oh you must hate, you know, components that come together that make you you. And that is not the case. I'm also keenly aware of the current sociopolitical political climate. And and you know how the united states is and also that as you mentioned i too i'm i'm currently in a one bedroom apartment who i still have a car note i got rent i got you know all these amenities the hulu the spectrum the, uh. you know so it's it's one of those things where it also i i feel like it does us a disservice to move about the world without also acknowledging some of the cruelties that come with the world. Because mm-hmm. we can we can function in a way in which we want it to be, of course, but we also, I think that it does us a disservice to, to totally ignore or to act like someone's being absurd because they don't desire or don't want to talk about their transness in the capacity in which you may want to. And that right. goes back to the point that I made at the top of this show about, things that make Char Char may not factor into things that make diamond diamond. And people have to be okay with that.
0: Facts. And that comes with, when we talk about intersectionality, there is a difference. Sometimes we can't do this. Sometimes what you can do, just because you got this one marker, this one thing that makes you a minority or make you oppressed, there are multiple things kind of coming at some of the rest of us. And we have to where you can say, "Oh, I'm trans," and your whiteness can protect you.
1: <laughs> That's in, in really it. Scenario,
0: you can go get uh, a job here because they are on there. You know they they have white leadership, and they they you know they're going to center you, and and they're okay with you being trans. But then when I come in this place that is a queer space supposedly my race becomes an issue like and so Mm -hmm. you have gonna have way more opportunities and way more freedom to be able to say i'm trans and i'm proud Mm -hmm. (laughs) out loud than me when it comes when we're talking about opportunities for my livelihood so i totally get that how do you balance your your social life? Like what when it comes to your working girl? So you're doing your thing. How do you, what is your self-care process looking like? How are you using sisterhood as a tool? How are mm-hmm. you using your family?
1: How are you um what is your self-care process? What is that like? So my self-care process has, of course, changed throughout the course of my life. And even what I will say post 2020. It mm. has changed. I've watched people online kind of romanticize. I miss lockdown. I'm like, that was such a traumatic time for me for reasons that I won't get into on this show. But it was it was multi-layered that I'm like, I... You know, even at you know, I'm imagining myself at 80 and someone is saying, Miss Char, what was 2020 like? And I'm like, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. You know have you... <laughs> get somebody nah, else baby. to do it. <laughs> yes, get somebody else to do it. And so, um, for me, self-care, I mean, I really depend on sisterhood. I have to shout out never ending Nina. She's an artist, she's a singer. Um, she's from New Orleans, and she's one of my good friends out here, someone that I consider a sister. I've really I feel like we both have have shown up for one another and we both have decompressed, you know, for one another. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love her and sisterhood for me has has changed a lot throughout different times. There are times that in which I remember going to like women's empowerment things back in 2016 and it was we were all a sisterhood. And then as the conversation has shifted in this country, going to women empowerment things and and not everybody, they're not outright saying it, but the energy I'm getting is that I might not be welcomed in this space. Mm, and on. so, you know, it's like, okay, sis, you know, you're calling me sis all up and down my IG, but now I'm in the building and you know, it's, it's an issue. And so for me, it's a matter like, like I mentioned, Diamond, I'm a big journaler and it goes lately. Mm. It's been going in and out, but like, there are times in my life where I believe, I truly believe that had I not documented and journaled and decompressed and had things in writing from my perspective, that I probably would have been in a fifty-one fifty hole somewhere because I was uh-huh. dealing with manipulators and gaslighters and in ways in which I don't know if I would have been able to mentally su- sustain or survive. And so, for me, it just—I love spending time with my friends. I love a good, you know, binge watch a show. I'm behind on so many books. Typically, I love books, but if I'm being honest, Diamond, the the TikTok kind of slid in, and I've been, uh, you know, <laughs> scrolling TikTok way more than I've been flipping pages. And so, and I also love studying my craft. I think, you know, I'm. I am a stereotypical Capricorn. So I love, you know, seeing what the daytime talk show girls. I have a routine every morning. I watch The View, I watch Sherry, I watch Tamron. I'll sneak in Jennifer, depending on who her guest is. And I'm looking at things, I'm picking up, like, wow, I really like the way Tamron asked that question, or I liked that question. I never thought to ask anyone that. And so I think I'm always just by nature looking for ways to sharpen, you know, my Mm -hmm. skills. But there are I mean, I I know that I could do better with sleep. I need to be more intentional with sleep and I need to be more intentional with eating meals because I'll eat, but then it'll be once a day. And I'm a big liquids girl. I love, you know, waters and teas and all different, whether it be hot, cold coffees, espressos. And so uh, self-care for me a lot of the times looks like retreating into myself. That's what it looks like today because I've had so many shifts, even socially, people that you think are your friends are not your friends. And I, I used to pride myself on being a good judge of character and I still do, but you, there are people that'll surprise you. You know, It's mm. one of those things like a keep living, people will surprise you. And so it's been a function of me just really loving on myself and that shows up, like I said, in different ways. Sometimes that shows up in retail therapy. Sometimes that shows up with, you know, planning, you know, a lunch or something. I just love being around people where I know I can let my hair down and we can have spicy talk. And right. we can, you know, you know, share an appetizer or whatever. And just really, I'm talking about two hour dinners, Yeah. Two, three hour. like I yes. love, I, I be needing that. And so, or like I said, diving into a show and then, Sisterhood looks different for me because I also depend heavily on my biological sisters. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, we've had to restructure our relationships as adults, which most people do, you know, when you transition from childhood, adolescence to adulthood. And I I really appreciate them. And I appreciate them at a level within these past few years, you know, around pandemic, before pandemic, after pandemic. In which I don't think I ever appreciated them before, where it was like mm. my whole adult life is like, oh, those still my little sisters. And they'll probably always be my little sisters. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're, you know, they're five years younger than me. But it's like, I think seeing them as fully encompassed and fully grown women, these aren't mm. little girls now, okay? These are women with a capital W.
0: Amen.
1: And we've had to re, re- and they view me the same, you know? So we've had to, had to really iron some things out and we're super, super close right now. And I'm really grateful for that.
0: I remember recently, I just had this epiphany that my brother, I was like, oh my God, you are a grown man. You have <laughs> two children. We sat and had this conversation and and it just him turning, me going from caretaker of Mm -hmm. him. And now that that is, even when he had left my house, when he was in college and a little bit of time when he was um, in in his early adulthood, I still feel like I was a caretaker because like you were talking about, your parents give you that safety net. I wanted to make sure he knew that I was his safety net as well. So Mm -hmm. it still was that vibe of, I wanted to be um, mature and a rock and steadfast for him. So he knew that he could fall back. But now that he is in his, 30s and that was when he was in his 20s <laughs> now he's in his 30s and he really is on his shit like on his business and on his manhood and I can kind of release that kind of tension and I don't really got to be your safety net and you know of course you, if you need me call me da. da, da, da. but now we, he can actually be one of my little friends he yeah. actually can be a yeah. confidant and we can have serious conversations child the other day we had one of the most <laughs> sexual conversations that I've had with my brother, just Uh about us talking about our sexuality and stuff we've done and how we explored things and the first time we had sex, just conversations that I never had with my brother. First of all, because I was trans and he was a cis straight boy and you know all of that kind of stuff and you know the pressures of not wanting to influence his sexuality because people were like, oh, you are a trans person raising this straight boy, blah 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 blah. I didn't even want to talk about sex with him because you know that kind of pressure of i don't want to influence him i don't yeah. want to i don't want to i don't want whatever that they were claiming that mm-hmm. i would have affect him to come true so it was hard for me to have sex conversations with him mm-hmm. um because and it, it to to our detriment because i remember he told me this is in this recent conversation he was having sex while he was in my house and he was 12 oh my and god And i didn't know yeah having, and he was talking about i was having raw sex with her diamond and she never got pregnant and then soon as i moved she get pregnant by this dude wow. <laughs> and he was i was like whoa what if you would have got had a baby while you was with me they would have they would have so much you shit about <laughs> they would have chewed and, you
1: up about that
0: <laughs> yes and and of course the only thing i talked to him about was of course condoms and you know yeah. stuff like that that's because that because i was a queer little boy when i was younger and th- growing up during the aids epidemic they were pounding me in my head with condoms condoms, AIDS, aids, AIDS hiv hiv so that's the really only kind of sex talk i knew to have condoms mm-hmm. and um STDs. And so I didn't really need to I didn't need. I didn't get to talk to him about those things. And I regret that. But now, you know, as we're older, we are we are be are able to talk about our those type of things in clarity and at depth. And I, it was beautiful to me. It was like, yeah. oh, my God, this is my grown little brother. And we're having a, a honest, open conversation without any shame and, yeah. and open and free. And it was beautiful.
1: I had one of my sisters show up. That is beautiful. Don't want to take away from that. That is beautiful. I had one of my sisters show up for me Um, it, over when I had gotten my heart smashed. Okay. Mm. Just heartbroken. Couldn't. And I just, I think that that also helped because I'm like, she is so wise to be five mm. years younger than me, you know, but also like you just mentioned as adults, you learn like oh wow you had that experience i did i would have never known had you not told me you know like right and so realizing that they're adults with agency and their own just like we got our own stories and experiences and been up to things so have they and so um yeah it's just it's it's a beautiful thing really but i agree with you it's kind of like makes you take a step back like wow this you grown as hell like you grown like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want to know if
0: if somebody was to want to go in in the direction and see you as a possibility model what mm-hmm. advice when it comes to being a journalist when it comes to being a a proud trans woman in the way that you present in in going after your dreams if somebody saw you as a possibility model what advice would you give them coming up if they you know if they're in their early 20s and they're you know teens mm-hmm. and they're like you know, we're, you're in a, they're in a different world. So how do you, what advice do you give them?
1: Funny that you asked me this because Janet Mock was once one of my mentors before her first book. And I met Angelica at the beginning of my trans. She, Angelica Ross helped me get on hormones. Mm. So I was in a, in a tight bubble. And so they were in this position when I was in my early twenties. <laughs> what I will say is that what I did not like, I'll say what I did not like it when I was in certain positions and what and how that influences my advice I'm about to give. So what I will say is your transness is your own. You define how you want to show up in the workplace and how you wanna show up in life with that. Because I had people trying to push and pull me in different directions when I transitioned, instead of giving me the, the agency to explore the lay of the land for myself and have my own experiences, I had people assigning things to me and wanting to make something of me that I had no interest in. So I'll say that. So with your transness that is your own and you navigate how you show up in newsrooms in meetings with that, okay? When it comes to work, I will just say, do good work. It is journalism, especially in Los Angeles is a highly competitive field. You are working with desirability politics. Uh, you're working, you're answering to cis people across the board uh, and the work, is what stands at the end of the day. And I know that journalism is like a, it's like a mixy topic. Like I'm not elitist, but I will say, do not call yourself a journalist if you can't write. And that yes, that even is for the broadcast journalists (laughs) because you know, the waters are muddy right now between bloggers and, you know, people looking at, you know, The Shade Room is reputable journalists and Tamar Braxton call herself a journalist. Portia Williams call herself a journalist and you all are fantastic hosts. I won't take that away from you. You are a fantastic host. You're good at what you do, but journalism, y'all are trying it. And so uh, that is what I would say, honestly, Diamond, is just make sure that the work is good and you can't sit around waiting for opportunities. You have to be out there you know, in these shark infested waters, getting in where you fit in and be likable, be authentic. I mean, you can't determine whether you're likable or not, but authenticity will always win. I firmly believe that because the viewers, people reading your work and watching you, whether it be digital or on linear television, can smell a rat, can tell when you're being fake. And also people can, you know, it's it. I my BS meter is through the roof because I don't want nothing that ain't real near me. You gotta be a real bitch to be around me.
0: And so, in LA, there's so many tons of fake girl, motherfuckers out there. Girl, you got to be sixth sense about girl, that bullshit.
1: I keep, I say hi and bye and keep it pushing because I've I've been clocked you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, that's that is what I I'd say as far as any, you know, trans people, whether that be trans women, trans men, trans people just as a whole watching me as a possibility model is to just do good work mm. and you navigate your transition however you see fit. I can't advise you on that. So who you you named Angelica Ross? I love that's my girl.
0: Um yeah. Jenna Mike, I've I've met her and my girl as well. You've mentioned Oprah, you've mentioned your mom, you mentioned who else? Who are some of the people that, that would surprise us in who has inspired you, who had helped you lay a path, maybe not directly, but seeing them from afar? Who else has um been a possibility model for you?
1: I, I don't know if, th- I have, if I have any surprises per se, but you know, the dearly departed Monica Roberts is yeah. is certainly, we exchanged some words in DMs on, on Twitter when we followed each other, which was, I believe in 2019 or 2020. So everything came, you know, I had limited time with her. Yeah. I'll say that. And so she's someone who really, I marveled at how even she, I, I would have loved to have asked her how does she balance doing the type of reporting that she's doing and not letting it stick on her on her spirit in a way in which it, it would stick to mine. Um, and so there, there's her, I mean, I have so many influences. I love Tamron Hall. I mean, I have so many influences. Oprah's good, Tamron's good. Wendy was very nice to me, <laughs> yes. I have shared space with Wendy Williams twice. Uh, and this was in the, you know, at the height of her show. This is before Mm -hmm. everything This like season six, Wendy, she was, you know, very nice and shady and good. It's a melting pot because when I think about like the books I like to read, or when I think about like how I admire people for broadcast, I also love people's writing. I love Candace Benbow. I love Brittany Cooper. Um, bell hooks of course i love bell hooks kimberly n foster there's so many people that i'm watching and that i get so much from and and i'm just so grateful for the groundwork and and how they contextualize certain intellectual framework around things and how they could you know it's it's they can have the everyday conversation but they also can contextualize it on a on an academic level i'll put Mm -hmm. it that way and so uh yeah it's it's a melting pot my mom my aunts there's tons of women that I grew up watching, and I think that they all had an influence on me in some degree. Mm. Whether that's how I show up, whether that's how I conduct business, you know, it just it is what it is. <laughs> mm. I want to thank you for just. Oh, and being... you too, you too. I don't want to take away from you. <laughs> no, run thank run you. the tape, run the tape back. <laughs> you too, and I say that because you, I, I first had a conversation with you in 2019 when I reported on Malaysia Booker and Claire Legato for Trans Day of Remembrance of 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I slid in your DMs and you gave me some very, thank you for giving me your time. I wanna, you know, thank you for that. <laughs> but you also gave me some very uh, good, good source material to work with. And you pointed me in the direction of some great organizations. And, you know, that was very tough for me as an entertainment journalist. I was literally like calling like, the homicide unit speaking to Detective Echols. (laughs) Like, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I just want to talk Chloe and Tristan. But, you know, that assignment was very tough for me. And so, and even you and all of the work and all of the transitions and iterations that, you know, this show has gone under and and, and the conversations that you lead. Like I said, I tune in, I sing along, gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria. I'm I'm a fan, I'm a fan, Diamond. So you too, you too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you for that. That is so affirming. And I am so proud. You are one of the people that I see doing your thing and just being in a box that is all her own. And I just I love that. I love to see people doing things that um I that I just i'm like wow like it's it's just something that i i just appreciate when i see like you mentioned nina nina's one of them when i see t.s madison when i see um you know even like cat black she's from la um, oh yes i love
1: cat too yeah i love Uh cat
0: like it's just it's just so many people that i see doing their things in their own unique ways and it just makes me so proud and i'm and I, i just love seeing it thank you and thank you for taking the time to be on the show
1: Thank you for having me. This this was fun. I feel like I was all over the place, but this was fun. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> Tell the people where they can find you. You can find me at Shar says so, and that's all of my socials. And that's Shar with an S, S-H-A-R, says, not say, but says, <laughs> So, so S-H-A-R-S-A-Y-S-S-O.
0: Uh, and I will definitely have those link in the bottom. Thank you for listening, show you some love, and thank you for coming to Marsha's Plate.
1: Thank you, Diamond. How are you?
0: Hey, brother, hey, brother. Hey, sister, hey, sister. Hey, Sibley, how are you? Ooh.